Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. I'm back from my holidays. Massive thanks to Luke Jones for looking after the place. I've checked the itinerary and most of the things where they should be. He stripped the beds, he took the bins out and he managed not to break the podcast. Although the state of the bathroom means I'm going to give him a very bad review on the Airbnb. Right, coming up on today's podcast, our big thing today is an interview with Allegra Stratton. Now, you may think you remember the name. She used to be a journalist on the BBC and ITV. She then became a spin doctor for Rishi Sunak. Then she was going to front Boris Johnson's daily press conferences, which never happened. Now she's been given the not particularly easy task of trying to sell the government's message on climate change ahead of those big climate change uh, COP26 talks in Glasgow this autumn. Uh, so the interview with her is coming up as our big thing today. But first, of course, our columnist panel. It's Mondays. It must be Libby Rachie. It's Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester. So uh, let's start off with holidays. Are you are either of you planning to go away? Are you clear about what to do if you are trying to go away? Uh, just when you think it's clear what's going on, it gets more complicated. <laughs> Libby, act as our travel agent. Clear it all up for us. What's going on? Well, I've been yearning to go to Ireland, and for a long time they wouldn't let us in at all, and now they will, but with various tests. But I think, looking at it, the Amber Plus watch list for France is such a killer, because how many ordinary channel crossers can afford the risk of hotel quarantine, uh, the cost and the time for it? It's just not a risk people will take. Um, I, I think it would have been better and kinder just to say no leisure travel, end of, or else open it up because the virus gets everywhere, as the Australians are finding out. Uh, I think what's going on at the moment is is just so chaotic and so unkind and so disruptive to individuals and businesses that it's one of the, the least effective decisions the government has made yet. Uh, Rachel, it seems a little bit sort of tinnied or, or polit- politically inept, or at least a misunderstanding of how much people love their holidays, look forward to their holidays, plan their holidays, save, talk about um, their holiday. You know, part of the fun of holidays is the is the looking forward to it. Uh, and if yeah, all of it exactly. actually gets bound up in, oh, what's Boris Johnson done to my holiday now? Yeah. Politically, it's, it's quite all risky, about the sort it? of anxiety now, isn't it? What's going to change at the last minute? I mean, we were supposed to be going to America. We've got family there and it's the second year we've had to cancel, partly because I think... 
Biden hasn't lifted the ban on Brits coming there because of all this yeah. chaos and confusion in this country. So, you know, there are implications both ways. Um, and I think the problem is with this amber watch list, as, as Libby said, it's almost the worst of all worlds. And, and in any case, the government seems to suddenly decide we're going to change the rules on this, that or the other you know, overnight virtually. So I don't see what the point of an amber watch list is so the MP said, you know, it's gone from traffic lights to rainbow. It's, it's utter confusion, confusion and chaos. And I think people want the the joy, as you say, is planning. And what you haven't got is the ability to plan at the moment. And I think uh, I think go on, Libby. The, the American thing needs needs talking about because I think. Uh, I mean, I, I we have skin in the game because my, my sister-in-law has, has a new baby grandchild born. She hasn't been able to see and hasn't seen her son for ages. Um, I mean, I do think that if we are letting Americans in, America ought to have a little quiet think about letting UK citizens in sooner. <laughs> I mean, not but least... The reason, Bob, Bob the reason they're not is because of the sort of chaotic handling of the situation here, I think. So it's, you know, they're taking a very cautious approach. Um and I mean, we'd love it if they would, but you can understand why they aren't when Boris Johnson is doing this mass experiment. And it's interesting because Boris Johnson was supposed to, you know, discuss all this with um, Joe Biden at the G7, which is what, two months ago now? Uh, mm, and yeah. yeah, it still doesn't seem to be sorted out. The other thing, of course, Libby, is that there is a, there's a sort of knock-on effect, isn't there? I think if you're... If you're worried you might be about to go onto an ambulance and then you cancel your holiday, you're not going to get any money back. Actually, the, 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 if you're, I think, I think I'm right in saying, if your if your uh, destination goes onto the red list, you're therefore advised not. You're there being told by the front office not to go. So your insurance thing kicks in more straightforwardly. Yeah, it is absolute chaos. I mean, I, I, I'm almost leaning towards the idea that the right thing would have been a rather gentle paternalism in which you subsidise British hotels and bed and breakfasts and just say, this is the year of staying at home for a holiday. End of. <laughs> I'm almost moving in that direction. They're, they're the, absolutely the packed to the rafters. Yeah. The muddle mm. is a nightmare. The, the muddle is a terrible nightmare. The other thing is the whole cost of testing, which if you go abroad, I mean, uh, you... Even to come back with these, you have to do, say, a family of six, £600 for the PCR test. That's pretty expensive on top of mm. the lateral flow test you have to do to go, to come back when you're there. <laughs> so the cost of the, it is becoming, you know, travel is becoming the uh, an elite, you know, privileged thing rather than something everybody could do. And that's a great shame. Uh, and, and what about the, the impact this is having on politics? It does. It does appear as if the uh, the vaccine bounce honeymoon, but that's not a mixture of metaphors, uh, is coming to an end. Big drop right across the board of, of all pollsters. What was a double digit poll lead for the Conservatives is now down to sort of single digits. Boris Johnson's mm. poll. Is this the point where we return to politics as normal? Do you think, Libby? I think it possibly is, yes. I, I was fascinated by how fast it's dropped. The Prime Minister's popularity has dropped since that business about, oh, I'm going to go on to the special project and not have to quarantine. Oh, all right, then I'll quarantine. I think Matthew Paris has a wonderful metaphor of um, throwing stones into a bog. You know, at first you don't notice, oh, yeah, but it's no problem, no problem, no problem. And then suddenly one day there's an island of stones and people start to notice how many things he's done wrong. And I think, I think the Popularity, Prime Minister's popularity is is absolutely rocketing now downwards, and so we will get back to normal politics, or we would if we had an effective Labour leadership. It's also, I think that the uh, Boris Johnson's 
popularity was almost artificially inflated by things beyond his control. So to start with, people wanted to trust the prime minister because it was a the, the pandemic was a sort of national emergency. Then the vaccine rollout was handled very well. Uh, but he's a bit like that cartoon character who's run off the edge of the cliff. He's just it, that there was a, the sort of popularity was wasn't really as high as it looked and now he's plunging downwards um you know it's it, i think the voters are smart they can tell that boris johnson as his own advisor dominic cummings said isn't a natural prime minister he's not very good at competence he's not very good at running things and that was always the case but they were sort of turning a blind eye to that because other things were more important and now he maybe should be looking over his shoulder to what to his neighbour in uh, Downing Street, Rishi Sunak. Ah. This this survey uh, by Conservative Home, uh, the uh, the website for Tory activists, um, asking um, people, asking Tory party members for the first time actually since the the twenty nineteen election, who should succeed Boris Johnson's party leader? Almost a third of them going for the Chancellor Rishi Sunak, uh, way higher than it. Uh, nobody else got more than some sort of ten twelve percent. Um, at least seven in ten of these Conservative Party members have backed uh, Rishi Sunak's response to COVID-19 in each monthly survey since the pandemic began. Um, he's he's still incredibly popular, Libby. Is there a risk of being seen as the heir, apparently? Well, I, I, there may be. I think Paul Goodman's column pointing out that we don't quite know what sort of prime minister he would be is interesting because it made me really stop and think, yeah, what do we know about what kind of prime minister he would be? I mean, he... He seems a libertarian and he understands business. And I quite like the fact that um, he's there's no sign he's going to be as much in the pocket of big money as people like Jenrick are, you know, partly because of his own personal circumstances, big money, you know, his wife, big money isn't going to impress him as such. And I think, I think he's canny, uh, but I, I, I'd be fascinated to, to know just a little bit more about what kind of man he might be, because I do think he's the only possible heir at the moment. Uh, if, if the Tory party wants a new leader, a new prime minister, I think, I think that'll be him. And also I am, of the opinion that Boris Johnson will pack it in a little bit earlier than people think. What well, oh, that's interesting. What this this side of an election? I think he might. I really think he might. He's been through a great deal, and uh, he's he might just want to leave and make quite a lot of money. Interesting. What do you think, uh, Rachel? Because part part of me does think that the conversations about who should, who might be the next Tory leader. Boris Johnson's already won one election. If he wins another one, he, he, he'll, he'll go be in number 10 for years and years and years. Uh, and if he loses the next election, then we're just talking about who leads the Tories in opposition, which could be a, a very different prospect. Mm. I think he's, um, he'll want to hang on as long as he can, to be honest. Um, I think they always do once yeah, you're there. <laughs> um, but we'll see. I mean, he, can, he is very changeable. I think Libby's absolutely right about Rishi Sunak. I, I remember I sat next to him once at dinner and we started talking about knife crime because my son had been mugged uh, you know recently um and i realized i had absolutely no idea what he thought about law and order and actually that's true of everything we don't know what he thinks about education we don't know what he thinks about social care we don't know what he thinks about well welfare we know he doesn't want to spend money but we have no sense of where his kind of social values lie uh, you don't have a real sense of his wider politics beyond the economy, and that's what he's got to flesh out. Uh, and Does I that think matter, also, though? Do we, we, don't, we don't really know what well, Boris Johnson thinks about any of those things, and he won an 80-seat majority. <laughs> you do have a sense of what kind of 
you do actually know quite a lot. He's written quite a lot about lots of social <laughs> issues. Well, no, some of it, <laughs> no, some of it not always much. totally consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Um, and the other point about Rishi Sunak is that I think he's got that competence over chaos thing down to a T. But once he starts making decisions that are unpopular with the Tory backbenchers and the spending review, you've seen it already with the cuts to international aid, you know, not backing education recovery. He's going to turn from Mr. Yes in the pandemic to Mr. No in the spending review. So he'll start making a lot more enemies. Is he going to put up taxes? Is he going to fund social care? All those questions. He's got to start making decisions which do clarify him. And as soon as you clarify, you make enemies. Uh, and I suppose that's that's the thing, isn't it, um, Libby? He's got a lot of tough decisions coming up in the next few months. He's been... Uh, Mr. Yes, up until now, spending money, splashing the cash around, and now he's got to start making some difficult decisions and making himself more unpopular. Yes, but I do think one thing that he has got, I do believe, just from odd things he's said and from odd uh, things he's done, that he understands how prosperity has to spread from the ground up. It has to start with the small entrepreneurial classes, the small businesses. I think he's wanted, you know, all the, that last summer crazy eat out to help out and so on. He's, I think he has a strong sense of things spreading upwards. And this may be part of his, you know, his racial heritage, you know, his, 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 his awareness of, of that kind of teeming industry which feeds the country upwards. I think that quite a lot of other politicians simply don't have that. I certainly don't think Boris Johnson has it. And I do think that that sense, that awareness, might be something in him as a leader which could be really valuable, as well as in him as a chancellor. I don't know. I just hope. Well, I, mean, I thought you might be cheering on Dominic Raab, actually, um, Libby, because he's <laughs> he's currently fourth in the uh, in the in the league table to be the next leader of the Conservative Party after Boris Johnson, according to this Con Home uh, poll. And your column today is, is all praising fourth pe- fourth place isn't for losers, quite the reverse. <laughs> yes, I have to say, some people under the line are getting a bit a bit aerated about that. But no, I just thought after the Olympics, the fact that Britain gets more first, fourth places than anyone else this time. I, I think when someone should say it for the people who don't get a medal, but who are so good that other people have to get medals for beating them. You know, the ones who are contenders and who keep the standard up in sport, in art, in performance, in literature, in everything, and who actually often have great and fulfilled lives, just loving and doing the thing they do very, very well, not having to be top, top, top. I'm quite bored with us only paying attention to the people who are top of the bestseller list or, you know, get the Oscar or or whatever, because there's so many fantastic people who keep the standard up just below them. So I'm for the fourths. Um, I I don't even make it to fourth myself, but uh, that would be my ambition. (laughs) The fourth, fourth best broadcaster, novelist, journalist, etc. I'll I'll, I'll settle for that, but I'm not there yet. But no, go for fourth, I say. Well, as as the presenter of Britain's fourth best uh, radio, show uh, as as uh, as decided by the broadcasting guild last year i'm all for that um uh, but <laughs> Did you really, really well i, I mean there were four there were four of us and we uh, we uh, we i didn't win so i'm assi- i'm at the very worst i'm fourth um behind uh, clara ampho frank skinner and I can't remember someone else's name. I forgot. Which so is... you're Pewter Man. You get a well, exactly. So I, I really like pewter this story. Man. Tell us about Dave Mitchell and what he does. He he, he sends pewter medals to, for people who come forth in the um, in a, in the Olympics. I think that's delightful. What do you think, Rachel? Are you cheering on first place or are you um, uh, cheering on the, those in fourth? Well, 
Well, I, I always remember Roger Federer saying, you've got to learn how to lose in order to learn how to win. And in the end, mm. I'm afraid, sport is about winning. <laughs> so I'm slightly brutal about it. It, is, uh, it can't be prizes every time. Although I do agree with Libby about that the taking part in the effort is important. In the end, you've got to win. The stories of fourth but place. But do you though, do you collapse? But Rachel, do do you collapse in tears every time you don't win columnist of the year? Though I think it goes in all sorts Obviously of other not. areas. Being 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 on the, any shortlist is amazing. But I think um, with sport, in the end, it is about the winning. Surely. Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester there. And of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a digital subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's my interview with Allegra Stratton. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. Uh, Allegra Stratton. Uh, it's her job as the Prime Minister's COP26 spokesperson to explain the government's plans for saving the planet. It's less than 100 days until the UK hosts the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow. But how can we stop the planet overheating? Is it possible to limit temperature rises to just one and a half degrees? Do we need to give up our cars, meat, rinsing plates before we put them in the dishwasher? Government insiders have complained that nobody can even explain what the government's position is. But luckily, Allegra Stratton can, and she joins me now. Morning, Allegra. Morning, Matt. So, uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, let's start right at the beginning. What is COP26? I was reading in the Sunday Times yesterday uh, of one frustrated Whitehall official saying no one normal knows what it is, and even when you explain what the letters stand for, it still doesn't mean anything. Sell COP26 to me. OK, well, there's, there's two different jobs here. I'll, I'll tell you what COP26 is and then I'll tell you what it has to do. What it is, is the annual yearly attempt by the entire world to grip and stop runaway climate change. So that's what it is. It, 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 countries come together once a year. It's called the Conference of the Parties. That's what COP stands for. 
it would be uh, it, it is it is it is it is it is a, uh, a not easily understood acronym. I completely agree. But listen, the, the central job is what does it need to do? And and the way I sell it um, is we need real action at COP26 on cash, coal, cars and trees to be able to limit climate change to 1.5 degrees. OK, and so how many people are coming for COP26? Well, often what happens, I mean, every, everything is, is, is unusual at the moment for, for every aspect of life, is it not, on, uh, um, because of COVID. But normally it's, it's, it's um, many thousands. So Glasgow will see, descending on it, uh, the leaders of many of the countries from around the world. Um, uh, last estimate I heard was 120 or so. But it's not just them. It's, it's their negotiators. It's their entourage. It's then it's not only their teams, but then and I know, Matt, you've covered a great number of these sorts of things. But then as well as that, it's it's observers, it's NGOs, it's interested parties, because one of my bosses, Alok Sharma, um, we call him CPD. I hope this is a phrase you will in time come to love. That means COP president designate. Um, he, he is keen for it to be the most inclusive COP ever. So he wants there to be as many people there feeling that the process he is in charge of works for them. Um, some people might think it's a bit odd, given the past 18 months, everyone's got used to not flying around the world and doing their meetings and conversations on Zoom or whatever it might be. Um, there's a certain irony uh, about uh, 120 world leaders, thousands of their entourage, all flying to Glasgow to talk about how to cut our carbon emissions. Why, why do they need to Why do they need to meet in person? I'm quite I'm quite um, uh, tough on this. They really need to meet in person because that's the moment when some of these vulnerable nations for whom climate change is 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 acutely existential. Um, they need to be able to look in the eyes some of these richer, bigger countries that are emitting um, uh, high levels of, of greenhouse gas emissions. They need that moment of political challenge and encounter. Uh, if you are, I don't need to tell people listening, watching this, if you are on Zoom and struggling to unmute yourself or indeed maybe not even being unmuted, because that's one of the phenomenons in meetings, isn't it? Where people sort of mute you and you can't even come in if you'd like to. So if if, if that were the nature of, of, of COP26, it would be very, very, very tough to get a proper dialogue going. And uh, what are the plans? Because obviously travel restrictions have remained in place. October's not a million, you know, it's not a very, uh, November is not a very long uh, time away. No, um, it's not. Uh, will you be waiving the vaccine rules for COP26 so that, so that uh, people from other countries will be able to come here without quarantining and without having been double vaccinated? I'm sorry, Matt, but I can't I can't um, preempt some more um, plans and details that will be announced on this in, in the coming weeks. Uh, people we know people need clarity and they will be getting it soon. But what's going on inside Whitehall is that the the the, the clever clogs are trying to work out the, the, the detail of exactly how it will work. But I can't tell you that today. I'm sorry, Matt. But there's plenty of other things we can talk about. <laughs> That sounds like it might be a yes, but we'll we'll, we'll wait. We'll await the details. No, it is, other... <laughs> honestly, it's just it's details to be seen. They'll come soon. Okay, now I don't know if you've heard this morning. We've been asking people um, to help you out with some green uh, slogans, uh, three words. We know the government loves a green uh, a three word slogan uh, to 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 save the planet. Uh, Sean, they're better, they're better than build back greener. They are better than build back greener. Are you not happy with build back greener then? 
I'm very happy with Build Back Better. <laughs> and Build Back Greener. I just, I was, I was, I was. Uh, I'm interested to know if your your readers and viewers and listeners have bettered it. Uh, burn, baby, burn. Says Sean. Looks like rain. <laughs> says Gawain. Climate means climate. Says someone else. <laughs> Uh, build climate, back... climate, climate, if you were Tony Blair, right? <laughs> uh, build back wetter, says Tom. Um, I, I, that, yeah. yeah. Keep Britain cool, says David. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Use less get, stuff, get, get says James. Done. Get climate done. Get climate done is very good. Um, so go on there. So uh, because there is to be this suggestion in, in the papers, people briefing uh, about um, the, the COP26 team and about Alok Sharma and about yourself not being able to sell it, what I thought I'd do is I've got a 10-second timer for you. Yeah. This is your 10-second doorstep pitch for, uh, to set out the government's climate plan. Your time starts now. We need real action at COP26 on cash, coal, cars and trees in order to be able to limit climate change to 1.5 degrees. Well, there we are. There we are. <laughs> right, let's unpack what all I that means. It, I say it until I'm blue in the face. Till you're I blue in the face. And you haven't even mentioned face. dishes. Right, let's pick that apart then. What, does, what do you mean by cash? You mean rich countries right. have to stump up money to help poorer countries go green? Yeah, in essence. So we have had since 2009 in Copenhagen COP, which actually is a journalist I, I covered. It's a long time ago. And at that COP, we, we the, the, the politicians of the day pledged that there would be a pot of $100 billion that vulnerable nations uh, could, could, could get money from that would help them to protect themselves against climate change now and also in the future and, and deal with some of the, uh, the terrible, terrible effects of hurricanes and rising sea levels and so on. That pot has never been reached. And Alok Sharma and the Prime Minister have said repeatedly that has to be reached. It's an issue of trust for vulnerable and uh, less well-off nations. So that's your cash of cash, coal, cars and trees. Coal is uh, the domestic phase out of the use of coal. Uh, some people might, might say, gosh, that is already something that we in the UK are doing. We have gone from 40% of our power generation being coal in 2012 to now just 1.5%. So we have shown that it's possible. But also at the G7, you saw the international financing of coal be, be, be the end of it be signalled. So there's already progress on coal and we just need to go further. We have something called the Powering Past Coal Alliance and that's got a great number of countries signed up to it. So that's cash and then coal we've done. On Hang cars. on, on coal, let me, let me just ask you about coal. Um, yeah. Uh, the Prime Minister had, you know, his slight embarrassment about it when he was at uh, the G7. It's likely to come up again uh, in Glasgow. How can you be telling the rest of the world uh, to phase out coal when uh, we're planning to open a new coal mine in Cumbria? I am going to be really uh, uh, irritating on this. Um, and I know because I spent 20 years as a journalist, I can't talk about the Cumbria coal mine because it's it's in a, in a, a quasi-judicial process where if I said anything at all, I would um, would damage that process. So it has to be left to run its course, uh, which I know is, is, is irritating because I understand why you asked the question. So we have to put that to one side. I think you said the PM was embarrassed at, G, at the G7. Did you say that, Matt? Well, I think there was, there was certainly definitely questions, partly about uh, coal. The, the, the coal mine issue was raised, certainly by campaign groups, about um, uh, <laughs> trying to... to to, to get other countries yeah. to sign up. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, while, while this coal mine process, which you can't discuss, uh, is um, ongoing, 
Um, it just seems like an odd juxtaposition, if you like. We're trying to be world leaders on the world stage while, while uh, domestically there's this debate uh, about whether to so, reopen so the Commonwealth. There are things I could say, but I'm not going to because it will, it will trouble that process. But look, the numbers are the numbers, Matt. We've said, we said the other day that we, will, we were going to be eliminating coal completely from our power generation by 2025. We brought that forward by a year because it will happen more quickly. Um, we were at 40 percent. I think it's it, for me, it's one of the untold stories of the last 10 years. In 20, 2012, we were at 40 percent of our power generation. We are now at 1.5 percent and looking to push it out of our power generation completely by 2024. It's it's quite a story to 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 for if you think about the United Kingdom's relationship with coal in our history. And now we are looking at not using it at all from 2024. So Added to which, at the G7, you did see progress from those the the, 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 the the rich nations on saying that they will be phasing out the international financing of coal as well. Um, and so there has there has and there have been developments on uh, the use of coal around the world. And um, Alok, one of my bosses, Alok Sharma, CPD. Sorry, I've just kicked the table that the, the, the phone is on. Um, he is he is clear that he wants this to be the cop that consigns coal to history. Do cars and trees, and then we'll take right, a walk so, around the house. So, Go so on. As you, as you mentioned in your bulletins, Britain has a target to remove, uh, to, 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 to ban the sale, new sale of diesel and petrol cars by 2030, and then to, to ban the sale of hybrids by 2035, and indeed bigger, bigger vans, HUVs, and so on by 2040. And we will be asking countries around the world to follow our lead on that move to zero emissions vehicles. And then before you come in with some of the points that I, I did hear in your bulletin headlines uh, earlier um, about, about the take up and so on of electric vehicles, the last one is trees. So we want to be halting and reversing deforestation around the world by 2030 um, because trees need to be left in the ground where they are. They give us they are one of our best lines of defence against climate change. OK, like we said, let's focus on uh, cars. For a moment. Let's take a sort of virtual walk around my house uh, so we can work out how green I am and what more I need to be doing. So right now, car park outside my house is a hybrid. Uh, what's yours? Uh, I told your colleagues 10 days ago, I have a diesel Golf. It's third hand and I've had it for eight years. I don't drive it very much because... I live in London and it's uh, it, it, it wouldn't be right. I cycle when I, where I've hurt my leg at the moment, but usually we cycle or get on the bus or walk most places. And the car we use to go to grannies and granddads who are mostly 200, 250 miles away. So I, I, I should be moving to another car. And be before I hurt my leg, I was thinking about getting another car because it's almost it's 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 difficult to drive it in London. Is it? But lots of people will, will feel the same as you. But what is it that's putting you off? I mean, you're as close to no all the problems that the world faces but something is putting you off making that switch so what what is it and what could the government do to persuade you and people like you to make the switch um i, I think that i will i mean my son would really like me to buy an electric car um, um i think it is the idea that right now if i had one any of those journeys to my dad in South Scotland, my mum in Gloucestershire, my, my in-laws in the Lake District and my gran in North Wales, they're all journeys that I think would be at least one quite long stop. And my kids are seven and four. And I, I long stop to charge, by the way. My kids are seven and four. And um, I, I, I don't fancy 
it just yet. That's not to say that very soon that technology, the charging points, we're already seeing an increase in numbers. We're seeing the costs come down and we are seeing the range go up. So the direction of travel is great and is and is swift. So I am optimistic that at some points, like so many families around the country, I'll go for it. But right now, I mean, I, I have hurt my leg and I, <laughs> I can't drive. I've been told I can't drive. So I'm just not, I'm not actually, apart from when people like yourself ask me, I'm, I'm not really thinking that uh, energetically about what car. But um, I think, I'd, I'd, look, I'd love it to be the case that I could, um, I could see how I could go to or do all of those journeys um, without, without necessarily having to stop uh, at a time that's not of my choosing. Um, you know, sometimes when you've got a four-year-old in the car, Matt, I, I, you know, you, they're asleep and you just want to keep going to get there because you know if they wake up, um, you know, they'll want the loo, they'll want food, they might, they might be feeling car sick and so on. So you want to be in control of that journey. That is not to say that very quickly um, I might not think, actually, this, I can see how I could make it work. And included in that might be that, you know, um, the, the the stop times for recharging improve so much that you can see it's, you know, it's half an hour, it's 45 can you, minutes. Can you, understand, can you understand why? Um, on the one hand, you've got the government, you know, setting all these ambitious targets, big, you know, summit happening in uh, the UK this autumn. Britain's going to be a world leader. If even the uh, face of these talks, the spokeswoman for these talks has set out perfectly good, understandable reasons why you've got a polluting diesel car parked in your drive, why lots of other people aren't coming along with the government on this, on this journey. We, we, uh, because it's a, it's a gradual journey and it's a journey. Firstly, that, that, that even with that near-term target of 2030 for new petrol and diesel cars, uh, you won't be able to, sorry, forgive me, you won't be able to buy new petrol and diesel cars. Even for that target, that's nine years away. That's a long time. And in that time, I'm confident we will see improvements in the range and the number of charging points and so on. We've already seen it. So I'm quite confident that in the next, you know, it may even be in the next few, two, three years that we start to see the tech and so on coming on such that such that it becomes something that more of us want to do. I don't think that it's particularly helpful for all of us to have a to have a debate that's not about the grain of humankind and reality and what all of our the the, the, the real nature of all of our lives. Um, I think if we're trying to go on this journey to net zero by 2050 and indeed big reductions in carbon emissions sooner than that, 2030 we're going to be reducing our carbon emissions by 68 percent. 2035 we're reducing them by 78 percent. So big reductions in carbon emissions. But to do that, to go on that journey. We have to we have to talk about our you know the reality of everybody's lives rather than rather than not engage with that. Um, on the subject of uh, cars and the phasing out of petrol and diesel, uh, at the moment the government raises something like twenty eight billion pounds a year from fuel duty. Obviously, if fewer people are using petrol and diesel, that's going to go down. That, I mean, that's about a, roughly a quarter of the NHS budget. Uh, so it's a big old uh, slab of money. Do you envisage a time where actually? That tax, the driving a car tax, which currently is uh, levelled on uh, petrol and diesel, will, will the cost of driving an electric car inevitably go up because the government's going to have to get that money from somewhere? 
So I used to work for the Treasury. Well, that's <laughs> why I thought I'd ask the question. And I learned in this time that there is no way anybody who is not uh, a spokesperson for the Treasury should comment on, on questions like that, Matt. So uh, it's another one of these questions, I'm sorry, where I, can't, I just can't answer it. it. Matters of taxation are for the Treasury and they are for mo- you know, fiscal moments. OK, well, let's move on. Then. Let's, let's continue this tour <laughs> of my house. Uh, yes. Let's head to the kit. Let's find the boiler. So so I, I, you, have, you have a hybrid outside. I've got house. a hybrid, yeah. Uh, because we want a new car last year. And so we thought we'd do the right thing and have a go, uh, take a step towards going green. And do you recommend it? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it's actually because it does overcome the the, the range. Because like you and everyone's, you know, everyone can come up with a small uh, with the explanations of why an electric car's not right for them at the moment. The main one being they're still comparatively much more expensive. But yeah, so you don't have to worry about the range. It's really good. I mean, we're getting something like 50 miles to the gallon out of it. Um, so it's, yeah. Uh, I thoroughly recommend uh, getting well, a hybrid. Is, and, this, and this is this is the thing. I mean, you know. But I'm greener than you. Yeah, b- b- quite possibly. Actually. <laughs> quite possibly. Right, but let's talk about boiler. Let's talk about your boiler. So I've got a gas boiler, but gas cover. How long will I have my boiler for before uh, you come along and tell me to take it out and replace it with a with a with a heat pump? Um, how long have you had it for? Well, it's been in the house for as long as we've lived there. So I don't know what that is like seven or eight years. Right. Okay. Well. Again, I'm going to frustrate viewers, listeners, readers, because I am. Um, we have a heat and building strategy coming out in the autumn sometime soon. It's really not far away. In fact, it's very, very close if you're somebody working on COP26. And that will have the details for you in it. I can't preempt that. But, but what I can point out is that most of us, I mean, I, I, my, my, my boiler has on occasion in recent years gone on the blink on Christmas Day, for instance. That was one particular low point, And we hit it with a hammer. Anyway, I have a combi boiler. It sounds like I have the same boiler that you have. Um, and your, your boiler will at some point um, uh, give up the ghost. And at that point, um, you, you, will, you will be wanting, you will think about what shall I have next. And the job for the government is to make sure that in, again, like with cars, this is not overnight. This is not quick. This is not rapid. It is it is a, 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 a process that will take us 10 to 15 years, 20 years. You know, net zero by 2050 is in 29 years time. We will be on this journey, all of us together, gradually. And the government's job with the heat and building strategy, which is coming up in the autumn, is to is to give some indications of what it thinks the, the heating for our house houses of the future should be. So you've had your 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 boiler, you've been in that house seven to eight years. It might have been in the house for longer. At some point it will um at some point you'll you'll think of, you'll be wanting to think about a new one and the government's job is to make sure that it has has come up with low carbon solutions for the future what do you think about heat pumps because i've spoken to quite senior people in the government working in and around uh, cop26 and they're not convinced that they're they're very good uh, unless you've got um a ultra insulated quite modern house did you, did you are they the future would you have one in your house i i think that um What's going to end up being the answer is a range of things. And it will be that we have a patchwork of different heating um, machines and uh, bits of technology for different houses. And I don't think we know right now in 2021 necessarily which one it will be. But I am enormously 
disheartened when I listen to some of the technology companies that the the, 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 the people making the kit when they say um, you know give us give us some time and we'll probably have, we'll be able to let's see what we can invent and come up with because we've already seen it in so much of this area um, the the costs come down rapidly and the technology improves rapidly. Um, we've seen it already. I cannot have no crystal ball and nobody is about to predict what will happen in the future. But what we can point to already as evidence is the costs of solar power going down by 40 percent, the costs of wind power going down by 70 percent. And as I say, when you look at EVs, you are seeing and I'm preaching to the converted with you. You are seeing the range increase, the cost come down and so on. So the the, the evidence is already that the technology is moving at pace. Well, let's continue the, the, the tour of my kitchen. Let's go under Great. the sink, the recycling bin. Um, yeah. uh, and, we, you know, we may go, we lob everything in there. Um, often, I think, some things that we shouldn't perhaps put in there. <laughs> but, you know, but, but, uh, better, better to err uh, on the side of caution. One of the big bugbears in our house is plastic water bottles, in part because... Um, we buy too many of them. Uh, you're out and about, you grab a bottle of water. I, yeah, it's really annoying. It's really it? annoying and they clutch up the car and you end up throwing it in there and you know you shouldn't do it and you should be taking your water bottle out. Why not just ban single-use plastic bottles? There is a lot of action in this area. Um, next year, we'll have a new law that will dictate that all new plastic has to have 30% of its content being recycled. So we are pushing... Um, that, that, and if there isn't, there'll be a fine. So we're pushing the companies that make this to, 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 to take to take control and to take action. And we're sure that we're sure that we'll see them move because the law will be will be will be will be tough. Um, that's how we think. That's the best way we think to to try and grip this. But I completely agree with you, Matt. It's sort of you you end up finding yourself out and about, and you've forgotten your water bottle, your reusable one, and um, and. And it is irritating, but equally, there are quite a number of these companies where they now make a great virtue of the fact that that in front of you, that plastic water bottle is re, is is already made of recycled plastic. Um, the answer is probably drinking tap water, <laughs> and um, and and uh, and and trying to remember to take that reusable water bottle out with you. Okay, another thing I want to ask you next, about. Where are we going next? Next, going we're going fridge? on holiday next. We're going on holiday next. We're not going to the fridge before we leave the kitchen. Because the fridge Go and on food then. waste is, the, is, is also something I think we all... Well, um, I suppose we do need to talk about uh, the food, food on your plates, rinsing your dishes. You got into a bit of hot water, to excuse the pun, last week for suggesting that one thing people could do is not rinse their dishes pun. before they go into the go before they go into the dish uh, before they go to the dishwasher yes you got a lot of grief for people saying you know the planet's on fire not rinsing your plates isn't the answer explain the point that you were trying to make so everybody i hope who read the article saw that i said on your own these micro steps will not halt climate change and if you want to halt climate change the heavy lifting the real action is cop 26 and after that, the real action is by your government and the 10 point plan for a green industrial revolution that will create a quarter of a million jobs. And and as well as that, business and the race to zero, many companies signing up to net zero. And uh, you've seen Andrew Griffiths, who's our business champion for net zero, has 43 of the FTSE 100 doing the same. And, 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 and you also have the NHS, big hospitals. The reason why this matters is these are huge pieces of real estate, big buildings, and they are pushing towards net zero too. Um, 
when all of that is taken into account and when you look at all of the heavy lifting going on around society in these big parts of the state, government, business, hospitals, when you ask me, what can you do? I then say, there's heaps you can do and you can follow Matt Chorley's advice and you can get a hybrid car or you can indeed follow Matt Chorley's advice and do as much recycling as he's doing. <laughs> but as well as all of that, there's things you can do that are so, so, so simple. You can do them when you, even while you're listening to this, this, this radio program, you can, you can, for instance, anyway, you've heard, you've, you've yes, heard the advice. You, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can not rinse, you can eat more of the food that you might otherwise have chucked away and so on. So I think micro will make macro. I am not saying that, and I never have, that on it, their own, these steps will uh, halt runaway climate change. That is what COP26 is about. And that is why we need action on cash, coal, cars and trees to keep the chance of limiting temperature rises to 1.5 degrees. So that's the heavy lifting. But if you want to do something easy peasy in the next few minutes, they would, they, that, that was my advice. Very good. So from the fridge, now we'll go on holiday. So there's yep. obviously lots of conversations about, you know, where people can and can't go on holiday and amber list and red list and the, the, the great rise of the staycation. If we are going to meet the targets that you're talking about and uh, collectively um, uh, reduce the UK's uh, impact on the planet, we need to, staycations need to become the norm, don't they? We need to, 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 to rid ourselves of the addiction to flying abroad at every possible opportunity. What you see in the 10-point plan, the PM's 10-point plan for a green industrial revolution, is a big push on something called net jet zero. So this is the... We've the, discussed this on the show before, about the I'm idea sure of... Have. And this is the push. And, and this is, again, where, where, you know, when you get the might of these big companies involved that have the expertise to create sustainable aviation fuel... Um, Let's see where they get to, because the plan in the, 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 the government support in the 10 point plan is to is to encourage them to clean up aviation fuel. This government is isn't in the business of of um, of dictating what you what what your lifestyle choices should be. What we were doing with One Step Greener um, is 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 we hope to show what people like yourself, actually, Matt, are already doing in the various bits of their house, uh, driving, holidaying, and so on. So showcasing what people are already up to, because we think actually there's quite a kind of hidden success story out there of people who have already brought down their carbon footprint, um, and we just need to highlight it. So flying, flying off on holiday is fine. That's, that's all right. In terms of tackling carbon emissions, we can carry on doing that. Uh, people booking their holidays... This year, next year, next 10 years, flying on normal, because Jet Zero planes are a long way off yet. But that's, that's all right for people to keep on booking. The Prime Minister and this party, this, this, government, believe, this government believes in personal choice. And so that's why it's up to you to decide where you want to go on holiday. And it's up to you to decide how you want to go on holiday. What the government can do is put in place the signals to the market, for instance, with Jet Zero. That is a signal. Get going, innovating and inventing more sustainable ways of people flying. Um, you don't want to, also... sorry, Allegra, as the spokeswoman for COP26 climate change talks, you don't want to tell people to at least think about not flying abroad to reduce their carbon emissions. My, my, this government believes in personal choice. What we're doing with One Step Greener ahead of COP26 is showing the steps that people like yourself and others around the country are already taking to lower their carbon footprint. 
with COP26 itself, the, the conference will be offset. Uh, there's people who will be listening to this who will say they don't particularly like the idea of things being offset. People should just bring down their carbon emissions so that they don't need to be offset. Um, but nonetheless, as we've, dis we've discussed, we feel we need people in the same room to make, to, to make progress at COP26. But in terms of individual choice, uh, Prime Minister believes in it fundamentally and people should make their own informed, educated decisions about where they go on holiday and how they go on holiday. Lovely stuff. Allegra Stratton, lovely to speak to you, the Prime Minister's COP26 spokesperson. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 